Alvin! Okay, here we go. There's Alvin. Tax the rich, feed the poor, tell there are no rich no more. Yep, so would we. So would we, Alvin. We try to, a little bit at a time, a little turn of the screw where we can, uh, you know, get the flathead or the Phillips in there and crank it a bit. Wasn't Alvin and the Chipmunks a Christmas deal originally? I have Does anybody no remember? Alvin! Well, I remember Alvin Chipmunks. Right. What, what, wasn't, Jeff, wasn't that a Christmas deal? Or was it just Maybe a comedy deal? Okay, good deal. That's what I thought. Well, here we are on the Christmas Eve Eve show, and it's Alvin Lee, and 10 years after, it's not the Chipmunks, but it is Alvin, after all. So uh, 23rd is the date stamp for today's get-together. It's the Saturday show, uh, and we were. it's the show that wasn't supposed to be actually, uh, because I was going to give you guys a weekend, three days with your families and all this Christmas stuff and a little bit of relaxation because, oh, I don't know. It looks like 24 might be the most tumultuous year in any of our lives. Uh, A little respite before that commences and all of those kind of thoughts and things. And so I was going to put this show on the back burner and we got a bunch of good shows in the can and uh, told Paul to reach back way to the way back machine to get one of those older ones that are good and throw it in there. And then I found out through John, our friend, John Kassarab and his exploits that uh, we might have some special people on today that wanted to get tuned in and ask a few questions. So we decided to do a live show, and that's why we're here live today. And I don't know if our uh, our friends or guests or uh, are are with us yet, but uh, the show's kind of tailored for you. So I hope that you, uh, if you're not here yet, that you show up because um, we've got Robert's here. Thing. He's been here. Okay, Robert. Well, great. Good to have you, man. Well, we've got our big. Christmas dinner after the show today at one thirty. So uh, we finish about one. So I'll tail on out of here. And that's what I was going to do is just get ready to do that. But Robert, you have, uh, we haven't met yet. Your name is Robert Rowan, I believe. Correct. Yes. Well, nice to meet you. Mucho gusto. Okay. Thank you. And you uh, cross paths with Mr. Casera, old friend John, last weekend, and Ann, and uh, found uh, our message to be of some interest. I did, uh, for many reasons, because uh, this touched me thirty about 30 years ago. And it greatly affected my life, and maybe it has developed a lot since then. And I wanted to find out. Well, me too, Robert. It crossed my path about 31 and a half years ago, thereabouts. And uh, my life has never been the same since, quite frankly. Mine too. (laughs) 
<laughs> so uh, now I was familiar with you, uh, your book, uh, and uh, and Ron McDonald. I don't know if Ron is uh, going to be able to join us or not today. I hope so. Him and I have spoken one time in the past on the side on another topic. So I was hoping that he'd be with us today. But if not, then you can convey some of this. Um, but uh, the results that we teach here, Robert, are the uh, the accumulation of over a hundred years of legal and historical research in three men's lives. My teacher was uh, John W. Benson was the law teacher, and Glenn Ambort was his sidekick. Glenn's still with us. John is deceased, unfortunately. Unfortunately. And, uh, but they were so focused on the tax issue. And I had a little fight with the individuals representing Satan. And I just hate the tax issue. And I, after I got beat up real bad by those folks, I said, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I kind of started off on how are they doing it. And of course, that's what we've, uh, I believe found the key to here. So we're glad that we, the info touched you enough to go back and start asking questions. I've found over the years that people like yourself, when, when this information hits the right person, man, it reverberates with them. Okay. And I've seen it over and over and over again. And that sounds like what happened with you. How can I help you today? Because I, I don't know what study you've done additionally or what John and you talked about or any of that stuff. Where can I help you and do, where do we need to start here? Well, I got beat up pretty bad, too. Um, I believe... Um, it was John. I had uh, somebody go to one of his meetings in 1990 or 1991. And John it, Benson. Yes. Okay. Like in Vegas, right? Yes. All right. Those are some of the ones I was at too. Yeah. And at that time I was living in Alaska. Ah, whereabouts and, in Alaska? In Anchorage. I, I went I graduated from West Anchorage High School back in sixty six. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, oh my dad God. was uh, stationed on Elmendorf there. Mm-hmm. I lived uh, for a while I lived very close to uh, service high school. Okay. Um I did at that time what they were suggesting and uh, he was teaching about taxes. Mm-hmm. And you told me that uh, some people got beat up pretty bad. Well, I was one of those who got beat up pretty bad. I filed the 1040 NR and they came after me criminally. Ooh. And, ooh. Yes. That's that, unusual. I don't remember hearing about anybody with that happening to. So that side of your story is new to me. Continue. Yeah, criminal investigator was assigned, and uh, I really didn't have anybody to go over this further with. Um, I I did something that I maybe shouldn't have done. I sued a couple agents because I thought Ooh. they were violating my rights, uh-huh. and I ended up getting charged with um, corrupt endeavor to impede, and uh, that was one episode, and... But what what continued from that was the IRS assigned me income that I never received. And it was to punish me further 
for what mm -hmm. I had done in suing oh, them. Yeah. Uh -huh. and, and I had never received that income. In fact, uh, a former IRS agent who took over the trust, he embezzled it all. And I don't <sighs> know what, yeah, it was a lot. He embezzled it. He saw to it that I was assigned the income tax to it. He walked away with it. And I fought that for years, ultimately trying to sue them. And it, I know not sue them, but go to court after I moved to California um, to challenge it, uh, saying that, hey, I never received this. I tried to take it as a loss. And they lied in court. Uh, they lied to me about the timing of my filing, and then they lied in court. And while I'm in court, uh, they're demanding that I pay all this money, which by now was unbelievable amount uh, with taxes, with penalties and interests. And I'm in court litigating this, and I get raided. Uh, saying, oh, my God. Yeah, you didn't pay. And then I ultimately got charged with tax evasion for not paying a tax on money I never received. You really, and, you, you really poked the hornet's nest, didn't you? I did. So here I got a tax evasion charge, and they fabricated evidence on my wife on oh, the same charge. Yes, we course. have we in writing. They fabricated evidence. And uh, I took a plea rather than see her go through a nightmare. All right. So this is where I'm sitting at the end of all of this. And then I saw it resurface when I met John. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would find out more about it um, because I've Pretty probably suffered more than most anybody else. It, sound, well, it sounds like it. you're just kind of a horror story. They certainly came after you with a vengeance, which they'll do. And uh, the reason for that, I've come to understand as of late, I mean, recently, fairly, that the tax issue is their Achilles heel. That's why they send these guys out to be so badass. Yeah. is to absolutely scare everybody because this is the weak part of their whole system because the income tax goes to pay the bondholders where the original credit spout is that creates the entire financial system. And that's what we're dealing with here. Is that how to sever it? And that's one thing. See, now that what I've been able to find out that John and Glenn didn't know, and the feds and the IRS cannot, they can't do anything. You hamstring them. When you file this paperwork, you literally put them in a corner of checkmate, and the only thing they can do is either recognize the system they've built and operate the way it operates and it's designed to operate, or else they take the mask off and they're open tyrant which they'll never do unless they've got a clear-cut advantage like Bolshevik Russia. So well, we've got we've them got in that corner right there with what we do and help people follow through on. So what, what's your question, Robert? Well, they, they, they've, had, they've had me checkmated, obviously, because they uh, came after me criminally and actually incarcerated me. Uh -huh. I'd, like, I'd like to see evidence of how this paperwork that you're talking about 
checkmates them. I haven't seen any evidence of that yet. Well, you don't really. I, the evidence is I've been helping people do it for 12 and a half years, and there's never been one backlash from the federal government of to anybody that's ever reported it to me. Okay, that's only because if people do this without asking me or telling me, they just hear about it and go do it. So I've got to figure that if anything happened to them, that they even remotely associated with filing this and a blowback in their lives, they'd get a hold of me. Hey, Roger, you know, and I've never had one of those calls. All right. Now, the reason that I know it's right is because of John Benson and my understanding of the law, which he had gained from a lifetime of studying law outside of legal systems, outside of law schools. Because they've been in control of the American law schools and the curriculum for at least 100 years. And a lot of the things John taught us, they don't teach anymore in law schools or else very occasionally. Okay. Such as the legal concept behind the meaning of the word person. Go, go ask anybody that. You'll, you'll, if you ever get an answer, you'll be doing a lot better than I have over 30 years. Okay. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand anything else because you don't understand what laws being applied to you if you don't know what a legal person is and how it's achieved. Right. No, that I, I, I was taught that not by John Benson back then. I've learned that from other people over the years that there's a dramatic difference between the word man or the status of a man and the word person. Well, so, continue. Go ahead. All right. Well, I, I can. There's uh, there's never been a blowback that's ever been reported to me from the federal government. But the reason it works is the basic concept that everything has to be voluntary. If it's not voluntary, it's tyranny. In other words, if if they tell you what you are, it's tyranny, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, so you've got to volunteer into any condition. In other words, today, I can go and expatriate the U.S. and go, if I've done all the preparatory work and gotten uh, the other country's passport, and I go through the State Department and their expatriation process, which takes months and costs thousands of dollars now, I can go change my United States political status for any country in the world that'll cooperate with me, can I? Yeah, I believe you can. Okay, why can't I then change it back to the original status of our country that's been hidden from us? Why can't I do that? They may not recognize it. Well, they do recognize it, and they have to recognize it. I mean, they've had to build their system around this fraud right here. And it's not unconstitutional. It's extra constitutional because we're in a reorganization of a bankruptcy. And they are the trustees. And so that's how they meet constitutional muster. In other words, if they didn't have to do that, they wouldn't have put the key to the whole thing in the passport application because they wouldn't have had to. They have to put it in there. Okay. So all I can tell you is there's never been any blowback. It's they stand absolutely totally mute. And the reason is because they've been caught fraud. 
they can't stop me from choosing what I, which set of laws I want to live under, basically. So they've gone to great lengths to hide Whitey of Jim Crow here and change the label, but he's still in there. I can show you all through the code and the regulations where it is. You just may not have recognized it because they keep changing the label on it, but it's there. Okay. And they've got to recognize it or else they're open tyrants. That's why all the people that do this, uh, one of the things we suggest you do is to do a passport application because then you've got the highest form of government-issued ID that's connected to the paperwork and your change in status, and they've got to send it to you. I know people find this hard to believe, but my experience over all these years is they do this and they do it correctly, okay? So if you're, we had a guy on here a while back, an actor from out there in Southern California, Ryan, and uh, he was going, he comes on the show, well, where are your, uh, where are your victory letters? You know, like an MLM meeting where you're waving your yeah. check around. Yeah. Okay. And so I've never had that question before. When I started thinking about it, I came back and said, well, Ryan, we don't really have victory letters because the federal government does exactly what we want them to do. Well, We're not having to go in court and fight this because they don't have any jurisdiction to bring us into court. And if they do, they risk this information being brought into some sort of a public spotlight. And I promise you, they're scared as hell of this. They do not want it spreading. Okay, because they lose total control and they have to recognize it. And that's our experience. I know you may find that hard to believe, and I know some people do, and I understand why, but that's been our experience collectively. I mean, I can have a number of people that are listening here today chime in and give you their own personal experiences with different things, but that's been our collective experience to this point, Robert. Well, how about evidence in a different form? I was told that some of the people who do this and then send notice to the IRS or a revocation of election, they get um, tax money back that they haven't even applied for. I don't now, know about that. If anybody's on this call who knows about it, let me know, because that that, that would there would be a paper trail there. And well... That would be evidence. I can give you some evidence of one of our students. You see, I don't teach revocation of election on here. We talk about it. I don't, I've never really pushed it because we're dealing with political status and not IRS stuff so much now. And that was John and Glenn's total focus. Okay. And that's what John discovered in the regulations was how if you could, if you've been misfiling under the wrong status, you could correct your status, go back and get three years that you've paid in the last three years back on this revocation of election. But John and Glenn didn't know and should have, by the way, you know, I'm not being critical, but I look back on John with all of his knowledge and prowess and, and as, as much of a dynamo as those two were together if they'd have known what I know, that you can only change the status with the Secretary of State and did that first. And if we'd have known that 30 years ago, Robert, we might live in a different country today. That's how important that is. Well, and yeah. so that's what I found, okay? 
So now we can do that. I'm talking about it on the air occasionally. I got a real good student, very sharp guy, and he decides to go off and do it on his own. Okay. And he went over on Josh Wallbuilder's site, sedm.org over there. He's got some instructions on revocation of election and he followed Josh's instructions and he got back a sizable sizable sum of money i mean in the six digits size when 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 was that about a year year and a half ago and then unfortunately for him he he had his a family member that owned that was controlling and had ownership of their family farm a large operation up in southern indiana died and he inherited that farm and when he went to go extend the line of credit as the new owner the banks all wanted three years of tax returns back (laughs) and he had to send it all back he had to send all the money back yes sir to get his three years tax returns to satisfy the bankers so he could extend the line of credit in his name on the farm. Well, but he got it and he got, he got it and he sent it back. He had to, cause he had to provide three years of tax returns to the bankers. Well, something's confusing here because, um, he wouldn't have paid that money in without the tax returns. So why did he have to pay it back? He had the tax Because he had to have, well, he had NRs, but he didn't have tax returns. I don't know. He had to end up sending it back to get the line of credit. That's what I know. Okay. He told me. So uh, we talk to people about it. If you're eligible, not everybody's eligible for that, but it's another way to drain the treasury's bank account. Cause you know, your taxes that go paid in, go to a, evidently a specific account that is dedicated to paying the bondholders. Once the bondholders are satisfied, if there's any funds left, they give them to the treasury. Okay. But up until that a third of what they collect is uncollectible a third of what they collect goes to pay overhead and salaries and a third of what they collect goes to pay the bondholders so that's where that is that's evidently one account and so what we try and get people to do a is pull themselves out of the system when they change status because now you you've changed status the way you have to now you can do that and if you want to look at doing a revocation of election and addressing those last three years and then you will point you in a couple of directions but i really don't teach that here per se roger Yes, Marco. I just went into um, say um, when someone puts in their affidavit, it doesn't it doesn't help the situations or the history before it. So that no, maybe that's why he had before. to pay. Right. That's I don't. I don't. Why he had to pay the taxes. He had to satisfy the banker's requirements of having tax returns they'd accept before they'd give him the line of credit. Okay. So what I understand it. But uh, we've had an instance uh, upon instance, Robert, of the, this working. 
Uh, Sarah, uh, one of our good students, literally rescued her rebellious daughter out of CPS in uh, outside of Denver. And they'd, they'd had custody of her all night. She'd already signed papers. They went into a meeting with three attorneys, the hospital administrator and the CPS official. And she presented them the paperwork. And they said, step outside. And in five minutes, they came out and said, you and your daughter are free to go. I've never heard of anybody getting their kid out of CPS before. Okay. So we've had people pulled over on the side of the road. The cops come back and say, I've never seen DND on. They give them passport cards. We suggest strongly that people get passports and travel on that passport card as their ID. They get pulled over at a, at a traffic, drunk traffic thing. Uh, they come back looking at the passport card and say, I've never seen DND on this before. You're free to go. Those kind of things. Now we have the uh, reverse happen occasionally of what I call local fiefdoms where you're in some place and you get a traffic ticket and you're going to try and go in and deal with it. And you get uh, boss hog, the sheriff and judge Roy being the hanging judge. And you're in a whole different kind of scenario because that's a local power scheme there, but we don't have those happen too often. They happen occasionally. By D and D, you meant do not detain, correct? That's that's the only thing we can figure. Correct. That was in California, too, by the way. Well, I've heard of something like that before with a friend of mine who got pulled over. He did have a driver's license. Cop looked at it, went back to his car, went back to the my friend, the driver, and he. He just let him go. <laughs> he just said, yes. have a nice day. So I, right. I, th- there's something there. But, well, you know, to me, in, in my situation, I see a, a lot of risk because they came after me with nukes. You know, you, 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 mm-hmm. you put some, somebody in prison for d- doing something they know he did not do. Right. Uh, it's not just a matter of fraud. It's, it's pure evil. Well, what you're doing is exposing the fraud. That's why I think they wouldn't come after you exactly the opposite of what you're thinking. Okay. So it exposes their fraud. See, when you file this paperwork, the best I can tell Robert is two things happen simultaneously. A, you gain your freedom, and B, you expose multiple layers of fraud simultaneously. That's why they stand mute. You know, I've never seen anything put at these people. Andy uh, Hitchcock, who wrote Synagogue of Satan's on our network here, and Andy calls them the those who always have an answer for everything. That's pretty accurate, isn't it? They don't have an answer for this. All they do is stand mute. It's all we've ever had. We've never had. We've had some bluff letters sent back. They're very poorly worded and quite sophomoric. But if you know your stuff at all, uh, they, uh, uh, they're, they're pretty laughable, actually. But it's so simple. All they've done here is just switched us all to federal citizens from being Whitey and Jim Crow. The Whitey and Jim Crow, they can't get rid of that status. They can veneer over it and hide it, but they can't get rid of it. And now that we know what it is and what it's labeled and bring it out, they can't say no to it. 
And if they even come, like in your instance, if they came back and started coming back against you for all this in the past, it risks bringing this information out in some sort of a public forum or setting. And they're so scared of this, I believe, that they don't want to do that. I think that's part of the deterrence here. But those are my feelings. But we've never had any incidents of what you're talking about. None of that has ever happened in 12 and a half years. Well, they were also patient in, I'm being devil's advocate. You can understand that. Yeah, well, you can that. do that. Sure, okay. of course, you can do that. They were also very patient in other movements, like the Freeman movement and others. Right, right. They weren't, they, very just, patient. they weren't very patient with John and Glenn, were they? They didn't let them teach but six months before they raided them. They let Phil Marsh go for five years and all these other people. How about that? Yeah, Phil Marsh went for a long time. Yeah. And um, you're saying there was a difference between what they did with Phil Marsh and what they did with Benson. Well, they let Phil Marsh on ABC News with Stone Phillips one Friday night for a friggin' hour. They let him go for five years before they threw the net over him. They let John and Glenn go for six months before they shut him down. Um, did, they, did they shut them down criminally? They went after them criminally eventually, yes, but they raided all three of their offices, Vegas, Grants Pass, and Salt Lake City one day with CID, uh, kept them on the floor with Glocks at their head for eight hours. They'd only been teaching six months. See, the reason, you want to know the reason? Because John and Glenn were over the, had the thread to the key to this, which is the feudal system and what John was teaching. Phil Marsh and those other people, they, they didn't have hardly anything correct, you know? What was Phil Marsh's big deal? Put untaxing in the lexicon? You know, Phil Marsh died in federal prison. Yeah, And they let him go far enough to where he could get all the people that were interested and they can throw a big cast net over everybody. They didn't want this information John and Glenn were teaching to get out at all. And it's only by a sheer miracle that we're here today because out of that six months, there was only 1,200 students, Robert, that went through that course. And I was the only one that took it further. And look what I found. That's why they busted those guys in six months, because they were over the target and had the thread. Well, how do you know they're not going to bust you? I mean, well, I don't know. I don't know, except they don't have any grounds to. And if they do, there'd be an open tyrants. And I know they're very reticent about doing that because the only thing they're scared of in this whole world is us. They got all the money and power and influence they need. It's us they're scared of. And they're scared of us having the truth. And they're scared of them not having their uh, plausible deniability. And you see, they don't have their plausible deniability anymore. There's layer upon layer upon layer of fraud. And it's all exposed. Well, I, uh, I I went back and I did a little bit more reading legal about national and legal. And a lot of these are referenced. And there's uh, you can find legal and technical benefits of being a citizen of the United States and legal and technical benefits of being a national in the United States of America. And it says U.S. nationals have rights similar to citizens. 
such as the right to live and work in the U.S. And I also realize that these terms are redefined in the code. So the United States in the code could possibly mean Washington, D.C. It does mean that. I know. And people don't realize that, uh, where they use the word include most of the time, and sometimes it uses the word means. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is fraud and deception. Um, it says, um, but, but it, but it, 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 it differentiates um, a, a, a citizen of the United States and a national. And obviously it says that it's, um, they, can't, uh, they can't vote. Nationals can't vote. Well, that's not true. We just got one of our guys uh, put back on the rolls in Alabama by the head legal guy with the Secretary of State over elections in uh, Alabama as a national. So Roger, that's what reading. it says. I'm probably reading out of Wikipedia or something. But that's our experience here recently, and he's a government subcontractor, actually. There's two different um, definitions for national. Yeah, but there's what several, you know, and you got it, Robert. Yeah. You got are you you got to understand also that they will use that word when they really mean non-citizen national. Do you know what a non-citizen national is? I've you seen see how, I've seen two terms. I've seen a non-citizen national. Yes, uh -huh, but explain, uh -huh. elaborate for me, please. That is American Samoa and a little island called Swains Island. And they acquired American Samoa from Germany in about 1900, and they unincorporated it, but it's in the U.S. system. It's the only unincorporated territory in the entire federal system. And the reason they left it unincorporated is because they left them with their natural rights. They actually owned their land down there. Whoever owns the most land has the prominent seat in the legislature if you have an abortion in american samoa today they can charge you with murder because they've got their natural rights so they set them off down there but they can't be birthright citizens they have to come to the u.s and naturalize to get 14th amendment citizenship okay we are both but American Samoa is only one. That's why they call them non-citizen. And then they're very good about taking that identifier, non-citizen, and either adding it or taking it away in certain situations to fool people. Okay. Example, IRS publication 519. There's a statement in there that says a national owes total allegiance to the U.S., and you see, that's not right. A non-citizen national, American Samoan, owes total allegiance to the U.S. because they're in the U.S. territory, whether they're federal citizens or not. But us, a national, owes total allegiance to our state. 
our small estate. So they they take that and pick and choose it to try and confuse people. You got to know exactly what you're looking for to figure out what they're doing here and go trace it through statutes and regulations. Okay. Right, was Roger. that somebody trying to say something? Okay. More, what, Marco? I was going to um, share the public law with him, Statute 66, Public Law 414, and it's Title One, Definition 21, is the, the organic statute where it defines us as nationals of the United States of America. The term national means a person owing personal allegiance to a small S state. And number 22 is the one for the American Samoan. The term national of the United States means A, a citizen of the United States, or B, a person who, though not a citizen of the United States, owes permanent allegiance to the United States. That's American Samoa right there. So um, I can show you several different places in the code, Robert, where you can see the status. Here's how they fooled us. The reason we've never been able to come up with this over all these years with all these people digging at it is because they take the concept and they change the label. It's the same concept. It's just a different label. Our people see a new label and go chase the label, and they don't understand the concept that it's covering. That's a, a conclusion I've come to. I'll give you here the ones uh, Merka just read you there in Title Eight. Okay, Merka, you can go over can the you, Merka, can you please yeah, repeat that? Those statute you said statute sixty six four one four Title One. Can you yeah, it's, those again? It's, Statute 66, Public Law 414, Title One, and our term um, for the national is number 21, and um, the the American Samoan definition um, is the United States national, and it's number 22. And that's the organic law. Statute 66, positive law. Public, public, public laws. Now, we'll go over to the code, the United States Code, Title 42, which is civil rights, 14th Amendment stuff. So if you go over to Title 42, and there's two sections that basically say the same thing, 1983 and 1986. And they both start out with this statement. The privileges and immunities of a citizen of the United States are the same as the white citizens. I'm aware of that. Now, that's in the United States Code. That's Congress, not me. Okay? Well, there's national. That's white citizens. That's Whitey and Jim Crow. The state citizens were predominantly white. The new federal citizens were predominantly black. So Jim Crow was not an ethnic deal. It was a political status. The white citizens had God-given rights. The new federal citizens had civil rights given to them by the federal government. I'm aware that of that, too. Difference. Okay, well, there's, that's what we're playing with right there. All we're doing is going back and claiming that state citizenship, whitey, national, whatever you want to call it, it's that status no matter what they label it. Okay, so that's what we're doing. 
What about, uh, again, playing devil's advocate? Suppose a descendant of a slave, a black man today, tried to do this. What happens? Hey, I got a bunch of blacks that do it. I got blacks that do it all the time. Brent, you with us? Is Brent with us today? My old friend Brent? He's not with us. Uh, yeah, we got a bunch of blacks that go through this. See, yeah, anybody can do there you are. Hey, man, we got you off of the back 40. Brent uh, Brent and I have known each other 30 years, Robert. Okay, Brent, you and the brothers and the sisters have any problem with this? Not yet. <laughs> See, it doesn't matter. Anybody. It, that's not a color deal now. It's a political status deal. So all the people that naturalize... Once they're naturalized, they can do this too. It doesn't matter who they are. I will I mean, look add at the Roger first. John. Uh, Don't you also bring... have James down in Missouri? Oh my God, man, we got we got all kinds of black folks that have gone through this. Good, I'm glad. Well, James has James has talked quite a bit about his. Uh, he's driving a what a, a BMW and uh, oh, his he, home place. he's over in yeah, he's uh, up in uh, North Carolina. Yeah, we've we've had a number of people do this, and they drive on passport and have their own custom license tags and all kinds of stuff. Robert Brent, what were you going to say? Uh, don't go. Don't court disaster. Don't start anything. What do you mean? In other words, don't start no stuff, won't be no stuff. Okay, well, well uh, pretty much every, they all, the government people do what you ask them to do is our experience, Robert, and it, it amazes people. And see, here's what happens is a lot of people are very skeptical like you are, and they figure out and they get to a point. I've never told anybody to do this. This is your choice, not mine. Okay. What set of laws you live under, that's your choice, just like what religion you follow. Okay. I'm not going to mess with it. My duty, and I've got a duty here, and the duty I'm performing is to let you know you've got a choice that you probably did not know you have. And if you choose to make that choice, I'm here to help you understand it and walk you through it. Otherwise, go on about your life and do whatever you want to do. Okay. So when I'm sorry, go ahead. Whoever was talking, go that ahead. That was Paul. Okay. Paul. Um, I would like to see you go through uh, briefly the difference between agency rulemaking and um, law. Well, the I mean, those are considered design. little laws. Well, they are considered little laws if they're correctly promulgated and applied to the correct quote-unquote person. Um, are you familiar with all that stuff, Robert? Do you know how the administrative state works and this, that, and the other? Because I can tell you one thing. I believe I found what Ralph Winterout, the late Ralph Winterout, found also much later than I did was there's never been an IRS regulation that was published under notice and comment, which means that's the only substantive regulation that stands as law for the general populace or what they term general applicability. 
And there's never been an IRS regulation that was promulgated through that process, to my knowledge. They're all interpretive regulations, which means that they did not go through notice and comment in the Federal Register and that they only apply internally to the agency. So this is just one big scam here, man, top to bottom. They apply internally to the agency, and they apply to anybody who, under contract, agrees for it to apply. No, to no, interpretive, interpretive, interpretive regulations are strictly interagency. Okay, strictly. Okay, and now here's an example of that: the mask rule from like, from the COVID <laughs> when it got. <laughs> Click, 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 click. Is somebody calling the chickens or something? Okay. Sorry about that. That are was you, me. <laughs> are you are you calling? Are the chickens coming or what? Yeah. Well, I got the chickens barking and I'm barking back at. Okay, so uh, let's see if I can remember. That. Remember the that's okay. Remember the mask thing, Robert. Where everybody had to wear masks, and then they finally took them to court in Central District of Florida, and a little female federal judge down there who used to be a clerk, Clarence Thomas, ruled against the CDC, and all the masks went away. Do you remember that incident? Yeah, I've been following COVID uh, very closely. Okay. Well, the reason that that happened is because the the mask ma- regulation was only an interpretive regulation by the CDC, and it only applied to CDC employees, yet they enforced it with general applicability. And that's why the court ruled against them. Biden said they're going to appeal it. They never appealed it because now they're fighting the Administrative Procedures Act. But what did they do here this fall? when they tried to bring it back who got masked a couple of months ago tsa agents right because they redid the regulation and it was only in for the inner agency and tsa agents were the only people they could tag it on mm-hmm. there's a perfect example of what i'm talking about okay there's three well, types of there's three types of regulations: statement of policy, interpretive regulations, and substantive regulations. And the only ones that have general applicability to everybody are substantive. Everything else are those other two, and they only apply interagency. So, the, and they've been pulling this scam for years. I don't know of anybody that's ever gone up against the IRS in court and brought this up because nobody understood it. Mm-hmm. So one Roger, big I had one more comment. All right. All right, go ahead. I had, I had one. I had one more comment. I mean, uh, the UN is, for all intents and purposes, useless. However, there is a great deal of value put on UN uh, regulations and and what the UN has adopted. And one of the very very first things they adopted in '48 was Patel's Law of Nations, which states that all people have the right of self determination in political right. and social in their political and social endeavors all people right. have the right to determine what laws apply to them and what 
laws they will live it's, under. And it's it's echoed in the UN Charter. They just about pull that phrase verbatim and put it in the Charter. See, they can't take right. your rights away, but you can give them away. And that's why they've done this whole thing and turned it around with all of this trickery and deception, Robert, so they can ask you those two questions. Are you a citizen of the United States? Are you a resident? You, not knowing that it's fraud involved, think that you probably, if you answered them no, you might go through some kind of negative experience. So you automatically answer them yes and sign something. Now they've got your agreement to their fraud. That's why all that's done like that, because everything's got to be voluntary. So they tricked you into volunteering into this little slave system, and because there's fraud involved, and because it's your choice, and because this other status is sitting there hidden, you can reach over and access it, and they can't say a damn word about it. Hard to believe, but true. The whole thing is just a little simple trick of asking you those questions and getting your agreement and creating this illusionary reality that we've all lived in our entire lives. They set up a presumption that you are an employee of the federal government and a certain property. You're not an employee. You're a property. You're not an employee. You're property. Okay. They set up the presumption that you're property of the federal government, and then they ask you two questions, and you confirm the presumption. And boom, well, Robert ought to know what he is, shouldn't he? Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Hell, he ought to know if he's a slave or not, shouldn't he? So there, okay. there, there's their side of it, see? Now, somebody was trying to say something there a minute ago. Who was John, that? John. John. John, John. John. I, I just want to give him, give him an example from California because when I went to renew my driver's license because of age, because they want to see if I can see or whatever. Anyway, uh, when I was demanding a paper ballot, they insisted that I use the computer and they will print it off and give me a paper, not a ballot, but the, the form. In any event, we're going through and she's asking me the questions and the question comes up on the screen. And what it says is, are you a U.S. citizen? And it has a the right below that. It says residence. So I said, no. Instantly, residence disappeared and it changed to mailing address. And really? it changed to what? Mailing, mailing. address. I didn't know. You blanked out. It changed to just one of you speak. When when I said no, I was not a citizen of the United States. The area for residence, the as my address, etc., changed to mailing address. The word resident residence disappeared instantly. Do you understand the implications of that word, Robert? Well, yeah. If you're a resident, there's a, it also deals with more of a legal status. Uh, it actually is decided which set of laws you live under, very simply. But that's what it is. It doesn't mean where you live. It means what set of laws are you under. And so you erroneously tell them when they ask you that question, you think it means I, I live here in California. And what you're really, uh, they're asking you is this technical question. Are you a federal citizen 
residing in California and requesting protection from the federal government against any actions against you, the new federal citizen, by the state of California. It goes back to this protection for allegiance, allegiance for protection. And that's part of this jurisdictional nexus, see? So the uh, the simpler way is, are you under the laws of Washington, D.C. and the 14th Amendment? And you not knowing they're asking you that, say yes. And sign something. Now, these are some real tricky little bastards here. Interesting. So, John, they gave you your license, correct? Yes, they did. Further, I, I further did more. I did demand a paper a document. Uh, when I got the paper document, I initialed it. I then put U period, D period for under duress. And then I put 1-308. I didn't give them a signature. And I'm walking around with that. I think I showed that license to you over there. at the Yeah, meeting. you did show me the license. So right. you never you never signed the license, is that correct? Not a signature, no. I did I destroyed it. Under duress defeats the contract and one dash three oh eight defeats the contract. Oh, okay. So you did sign it with one dash three oh eight. U period, D period, and then one dash three oh eight. Yeah. And that guy says, yes, you took a nice picture. Uh, Also, with your attorney general out there, because one of the things we do, Robert, is we suggest people weaponize their position once you've changed with state and let all your local officials know that that's happened because it has a bearing on the way they deal with you. Okay. It also helps to fulfill the front part of due process notice and the right to be heard. So we suggest people, uh, uh, just copy and send their attorney general of the state and then copy your local sheriff, chief of police, district attorney, etc. And the attorney general of California writes back and says, Oh, if you need any legal, we can't give legal advice. And if you need legal advice, check with the California State Bar. And But we do have, well, how they word it, Marco? We do have provisions for our private citizens, something to that effect. We do. Um, recognized oh, or God. something. Yeah, recognize, recognize. That's the, what it was. Recognize. We do it, recognize it California citizens. citizens. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, from the attorney that wrote that. Yeah, yes. Fonta sent me that. Can I see that? Yeah. I'd like to see something in writing that says private citizen. Okay, well, that's kind of yeah. the form letter they send back to all of our people that do that. Yeah, so. I would love to see that. And and one okay. of the reasons one of the reasons is I was a licensed medical doctor in the system. Uh-huh. But but to add insult to injury, they yanked that. After I paid the government what it demanded, and after I served in prison, and after I got fined and everything else, and I made the federal government whole, the state decided, Bonta decided to take my medical license as further punishment. Oh now, that's, that's clear violation of the federal constitution. This had nothing to do with no complaints from anybody. It's just they decided to punish me further for being a bad boy, standing up to the IRS, 
and my medical license is now revoked. Well, why don't you just file your affidavit, set up a private medical associate membership association, and start practicing again? I've I've thought about that. You um, can do that. Roger, have him uh, reach out to me on Telegram, and I'll send up my. Oh, uh, Robert, are, are 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 you on Telegram? I have I have access to Telegram. Yeah. Uh, national status freedom three words is uh, Merca runs the channel there if you'll just search that national status freedom and connect with Merca and she can send you all that stuff on the on the app there and if you've got other questions there's a number of other students on there and people can answer them there too because I wouldn't mind working without a license it's it's not a it's not an absolute calamity to me because I've just changed my status to health coach. Um, my wife has a medical license. Um, it's a lot better to have the license, but you know, if you have a license, then you're also, are you not also admitting that you're a 14th amendment citizen? Well, if you go back and, and look at license and blacks law dictionary, a license is permission to do that, which is otherwise illegal. And licenses are only required for citizens of the United States. So, uh, there now what I don't know here is if she were to do that, could she still like write prescriptions that they'd recognize at the drugstores? There's some of the fine points. I just don't know the answer to. Okay. Yeah, they won't. If you don't, if you don't have a license with the state and they can easily yeah. check that out, then you cannot right. write prescriptions. Right. Right. So that's how they lock you in like driver's license, like voting. You have to be a citizen of the United States to vote until we find out from Alabama that that's not really true. So the question is that guy got registered by the head legal guy and he did all this paperwork back and forth with him okay got proof of it all right and so the head legal guy personally registered him again in the voter rolls alabama so now the question becomes what capacity did you register me in because if i have to be a citizen of the united states to vote and i'm no longer one of those i'm not a voter what am i now well, he would be a qualified elector, but I've never. Well, that's what we would think. Exactly, exactly. But I want them to say that. Okay. Yeah. Did they say that in his case? I we I don't know that we've got an answer back. This is still developing. Mm, okay. But that's a, here. The two big issues are IRS and voting, because we can really press the envelope of offensively on both of those. Okay. Well, in my case, medical license as well. Yes, but I'm talking about people and the medical doctors are, are fairly, you're not common, just regular people that any of us can press the envelope on. You've got an additional one. Yeah. But let, let me go back and show you. Let me show you. I think this is the most substantial thing that I've come to understand, Robert. I'm a Southern boy, okay? And folks in the South have had to live their whole lives with this crappy war, okay? And I believe I can prove to you that the Civil War was started and fought to get these two amendments into the Constitution so they could control the world with it 100 years later. 
Well, that wouldn't surprise me because I do believe that this is a conspiracy that goes back hundreds of years. It does, and and, and the the reason I can prove it to you. So let's you, you, let's we got an hour. Let's go over it. This is really interesting to me. To me, okay. This is the big, big, big picture here. All right. The big picture is Esau Edom has stolen back his birthright using this trick. That's the big picture. Okay. And just like the Bible said, he's enslaved us. We've been in enslavement. The Israelites were in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. We've been in Babylonian captivity for 90. Okay. This year. All right. But it started in the middle of the 1800s. As the Second Bank of the United States got shot down, I believe the Rothschilds came back and said, we're going to devise a plan that will get them. They'll never even understand what the hell it is, and they'll lovingly embrace their servitude. And that's where they've got us. Okay, So if you go back and look at the history of it, the they let the, the original, all the southern states back into Congress to vote on the 13th Amendment. Okay. Right. There was no federal citizenship 14th Amendment yet for six months. Right. They let all the states back in to vote on the 13th Amendment, so it absolutely applies to the states. Correct? Yep. Okay. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist in a state unless a person has been duly convicted of a crime, blah, 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 and there jurisdictions there plural what are the three forms of slavery slavery involuntary servitude and voluntary servitude voluntary servitude is left out neither slavery nor involuntary servitude so voluntary servitude is legal by omission now granted excuse me could somebody hit that mic, please? Please. Please, somebody hit that mic. It's very distracting. Okay. So voluntary servitude is legal by omission. And granted, earlier in the Constitution, it states they can't impair the ability to contract. And a voluntary servitude is a contract please hit the mute whoever's doing that and try and be conscious of it this absolutely needs everybody's attention that's trying to follow this and that's incredibly distracting please okay sorry so voluntary servitude is legal by omission, and they can't impair it in the con in the Constitution previously, but it's still vol legal by omission anyway, and it's not outlawed. They can't outlaw it, but they can sure use it to their advantage. And their jurisdictions plainly identifies the states, okay? So there's, there's Whitey and Jim Crow right there, all right? Now, the 14th Amendment... Six months later, they passed the 13th. Then they went back to the states that had not ratified the 14th Amendment, and they kicked them out of the Union. Did you know that, Robert? Yeah, I'm well aware of that. Okay, so they wouldn't let them back in to vote on it unless they'd ratified it. 
Okay? So the 14th Amendment in the first clause says, all persons born or naturalized in the United States, comma, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, comma, are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. There's nine legal landmines in that sentence. Okay? But it, notice it says that it's a two-pronged legal test. If you're born or naturalized in the United States, and then if you're subject to the jurisdiction thereof, you're a citizen of the United States and a resident. Well, there's the two questions. Are you a citizen of the United States? Or are you a resident? Yes. Well, I guess that means you trigger the second clause and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. We'll fulfill the first clause for you under our shenanigans. You agree to the second clause. I guess you're a federal citizen, aren't you, Robert? Oh, I see that plain and clear. Just right there on the nose on your face, there's the two questions. You think they just dreamed those two questions out of thin air a hundred years later? Are you a citizen of the United States? Are you a resident? You signed something? There it is right there. That war was fought and planned to put this in the Constitution so they could control the world through it and with it a hundred years later, which is what they're doing. We're dealing with some slick son of a bitches here, okay? Can't argue with that. I, I, I see that plain and clear. It screams at me. In, in, in fact, that was, it, uh, I don't know if you know, Ron and I wrote a book on the monetary system. And right. I, ad I addressed the 14th Amendment there, uh, almost exactly as you're presenting it. Right. It was the, uh, and the slaves, the slaves were never given absolute freedom. They were given privileges and immunities. Right. Well, they were given a, a, a secondary citizenship that underneath it is hidden the feudal system. Yeah. And and now they've got a property right in you, see, and that's a whole another discussion, and we can go into that, of course. And John Benson was the only one that ever came up and made that connection. That's why our community has never had much success. They're out there, as as my other teacher Glenn says, if you don't know you're dealing with the feudal system here, you'll never do anything but shadow box with it. And I believe that to be totally true. Right, Raj. Yes, Paul. A, a really, a really great movie. What was that? The Johnson Farm, or the, the Jones, Jones Plantation? The Jones Plantation. Um, find the movie, the Jones Plantation, and watch it. It lays out exactly what happened and how people were, how slaves were hornswoggled into thinking they were free when they really weren't. Oh. It, well, yeah. it's, it's outstanding. The Jones Plantation. Thank you, Andy. Oh, oh, that thing. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know that. So, uh, yeah. So, Robert, is there any place you'd like to go that we can maybe go over what we teach here? Or has you got any questions? Or what would you like to do at this stage? Because the show really is for you today. I appreciate that. So, you file this paperwork with the Secretary of State. I mean... I got beat up really bad. You know that. I can't yeah, see where filing this paperwork with the Secretary of State can lead to anything that could hurt me or anyone else. 
They can't. And the reason you file with the Secretary of State, do you understand that? Well, from what John says, he's the Lord of the Manor. He's the federal lord of the manor having to do with all things concerning status and citizenship. That was written to me by the uh, Secretary of State of the state of Florida when I was requesting a letter saying I was a Florida state citizen when we first got into this. And he wrote me that back. And I've come to understand now the reason the Secretary of State has this capacity and authority is because he has always been the person that was responsible for issuing passports. And if he's going to issue you a passport under Vattel's Law of Nations, he has to be able to identify you and your legal personality to foreign countries, doesn't he? Yes. So he's the keeper of the presumption. And that's why the passport app is so important. They had to put the answer that you can get out of it in that document. Boy, did they go to great lengths to hide it. That's where I found all this, by the way. Okay. I knew all this other stuff. I understood all the twin statuses and everything else, but I couldn't nail it down because they keep changing the labels on it. And when I saw it in that passport application, I knew I had them only. I didn't even realize back then about American Samoa. I didn't realize about American Samoa and how they're using it for another couple of years until the, after the book was written. Okay. So this is, it's a pro, it's a, it's a, it's a process and we, it's been a baby step at a time and oh yeah, well that means this and you go investigate that and go, wow, they're using American Samoa as a blocker for the national. And it's just like the old guy at the fair, which one is the, which thimble is the P under it? It's all it is, is that right there. It's this magic crap words, all of these little things they can do. It's just all magic. It's all an illusion. And isn't this the most interesting thing? The guy that's got ultimate charge of all things considered matters concerning citizenship with the federal government has to recognize this affidavit. And in doing so, Robert, they have to recognize God. How powerful is that? Uh, that's very powerful, I think. Okay, they've got to recognize your God-given rights, so therefore they're recognizing God-given those rights, aren't they? Well, if if they end up doing that, so well, they do do it. They don't rebut it. So you file this with the you file this with the Secretary of State, yes, sir, and you get nothing back from him. Well, you might get a bluff letter from Mrs. Robinson, but it's so piss poor, it's laughable. And that's the best defense they've got for this. Oh, they actually have responded to it? Well, they send out these bluff letters occasionally. The passport office will do it occasionally. And then the, about last year, about this time, and maybe in October last year, people started getting a, a letter from this Mrs. Robinson at the Consular Liaison Division or some division of the State Department nobody's ever heard of. And, and it's just total BS. 
that what they're saying. Oh, we can't attach uh, anything to an existing passport. Well, a whole bunch of those people that send the affidavits in have never even applied for a passport. So it's just this generic bluff letter, and it's the best they've got. It's the best defense they've got. And it, Robert, it's, I don't like to cross the Carlin line around here, but it's piss poor. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, I what you, if, if that's what it said, what you just told me, that's piss poor. Agreed. Go ahead, it gets worse. It gets Roger. worse. That's just the opening. That's just the opening line. Yeah, Dave. <laughs> yeah, thank Dave, you. you I, get... If I could, I'd like to add a couple of comments. Um, my wife and I did this process, and we forgot to put in our pictures when we were renewing a passport, and we sent you know the affidavit with it, and they sent us a letter back saying we had 90 days to, re- to send in the photos, and if we didn't send them in within 90 days, they would return our citizenship evidence along with, you know, the money that we paid to renew. So they said citizenship evidence. That's now, the term they um, use internally. Hold on, Dave. That's the term they use internally at the State Department to identify your affidavit, Robert. Go ahead, Dave. So, you know, Robert, um, Roger's website is thematrixdocs.com, and... Uh, there's a steering page called ExposeTheMatrix.com that leads you to the Matrix Docs, which is documents. So I was watching a, a documentary here a couple of weeks ago, and it was all about programming, you know, computer programming and, and the Matrix and stuff. And they started out talking about Event 201 with COVID and, and all the stuff that that you know, turned into, and they had these these uh, master computer programmers on that, you know, made a living programming games and other stuff. And at the end of this documentary, they said every program has a cheat code, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Roger Sales has found the cheat code to the Matrix. And it is that national status with an affidavit. An affidavit is it's evidence in court, right? You send that affidavit. They can only rebut it with another affidavit, okay? And they don't. They can't. They can't. And, they can't. Uh, now, the passport, you open up a passport book, you turn that first page, and it says right there, you're looking at it, it says, the United States of America passport. Right underneath it, it says U.S. citizen forward slash national. Yep. That's what we are. There is a status in that. And the documents that we use, the forms to apply for this status as with the passport, they come from the Department of State, not the State Department. There's two departments. Department of State is, is, is de jure. The State Department is de facto. All the forms start with DS. That means Department of State. So True. that, I mean, that that's all part of the cheat code. So I'll yield there. It, 
They're just they're doing everything on two levels, Roberts. Best I've been able. The definitions, all these terms, they're using a colloquial level and a highly technical level, and they're using a process called equivocation, where they take a hundred and eighty degree opposite definition and they put that in your subconscious with Pavlovian conditioning, and so that always overrides the ten percent of your consciousness, and that's how they're pulling all this off. Okay. The, the whole basic theory of everything they're doing is this equivocation theory and these opposite definitions. And that is, well, here, dare I give you an example. When do you think the first time you were ever exposed to this was, Robert? Probably with the birth certificate. How about when you first saw Alice in Wonderland? Well, that's a little bit after the birth certificate, but yes. Yes. Uh, well, that was when you were confronted with it. You weren't confronted with your birth certificate. And besides, the birth certificate only represents the condition. It does not create the condition. The creation of the condition is because you're in the feudal system, and it's called voluntary servitude at birth. You're, do, you, do you understand about the silent contract that's going on here and what's going on? Because it's really, an, it's, it's, it's very, it's something you ought to, because you'll get your arms around it. Okay, we're in the feudal system, all right? So in the feudal system was a development from the downfall of Rome. And as the Goths and the Visigoths went to invade Rome, they were cutting off a lot of the towns, mainly over to Gaul, Spain, along the Mediterranean. They would go in and they'd block the roads and they'd sequester and surround the city. The people that would escape went inland. Most of the land was held by Roman generals and politicians, and that was the origin of the feudal system in Europe. Okay, And it developed off of that relationship of needing protection. I mentioned it earlier. Protection for allegiance, allegiance for protection. That's the formula for jurisdiction, and it's the formula from the feudal system. Okay, And so as that developed over hundreds of years in Europe, there were two varieties of serfs. There was an involuntary serf that's outlawed in the 13th Amendment, and there was a voluntary serf where you could volunteer in and out of the condition. The involuntary servitude was much akin to black slavery in our country. When William the Conqueror came over and conquered England in 1066 at the Battle of Hastings, and he defeated Harold with one arrow. One arrow changed the whole direction of the world, if that's not unbelievable, okay? So he defeats Harold at that Battle of Hastings, and he comes over and brings over Normandy, of course, was in Europe and under the Catholicism. England was still a Protestant or not a Catholic country, probably a better way to put it. But as he came over, he brought the European common law, which included feudalism and overlaid it over England. But England has a what's called a free soil doctrine, which means there's never been a slave born on the island of England. So they couldn't bring involuntary servitude over. They only brought voluntary servitude over. And that is referred to as the English variety of slavery. 
Okay. So that was now overlaid over Europe, and you can find this in Black's Law Dictionary under the Doomsday Book. It's spelled D-O-M-E-S, Dome, but it's pronounced Doom, Doomsday Book. And it talks about William the Conqueror going out and he uses survey terms, minute and second. And he surveyed all the lands of England, and he gave the lands to the nobles in this feudal system. Okay, So he owns all the lands, and in what connection you get your lands from him. In other words, if you're the first person in line, maybe you're a prince. Okay. And so the, that, that's your title prince. And then you sublet some land to somebody else and they, their title is like the Duke because they got their land from you. So in England, depending on what your title was, everyone knew what relationship you had with the king in relationship to controlling your land, okay? And so, but it only had this voluntary servitude aspect to it. And if you'll go, have you ever heard of the oath of fealty, Robert? Yes. Well, that's where this comes in. When you volunteer into servitude, you go through an oath. It's an ancient oath. It's called the oath of fealty. It's a contract. Okay. There was one in the Holy Grail, Monty Python. You can go find it on the web and read about it. But when a person was volunteering into servitude, you would go in and kneel on both knees. Man, is that important. Because there's the only other person you knelt on both knees to was God. Even if you were knighted, you only dealt on one knee. In this, you put both knees. You put your hands above your head as if you're praying. The Lord of the manor standing over you would place his hands over yours. And you would pledge your body and your worldly goods to the Lord of the manor. The, all the other serfs from the manor were around as witnesses because this was an oral contract. Okay. Your body as property and your worldly goods, because now that the Lord of the manor had a property right on you, you can't own other property. So you have to pledge what property you do owe to him in that oath. Is that right. all clear? Yeah. Okay, yeah, Paul, what do you got? <laughs> and people are still doing that to this day by registering their motor vehicles and so there you go, registering their title deeds. Okay, so now you have entered in voluntarily into a contract. If you go again, go back to Blacks and look under the term villain. Now, it's French because it came over from Europe, and it's spelled V-I-L-L-E-I-N, right. villain, but it's pronounced villain, okay? Right. And there's a number of different kinds, and we think they're using the villain regardant model here. And it says a villain regardant is a villain attached to the land, property, and transferable by deed, the birth certificate. Jeez. 
Okay. Now, in that system, when you and mama had volunteered into this condition and you had children, because you were an object of their property right, the children were born into the same condition. Just like if you have a bull and a calf out back and they, a bull and a cow and they have a calf, the calf's yours. Same thing here. So, but it's voluntary. So it transfers generationally a silent contract that transfers generationally until somebody wants to volunteer out. No matter what generation that is, you get to volunteer out and the Lord of the manor has to recognize it, but you have to tell him that you're leaving and breaking the contract. That's what the affidavit is. When you put that affidavit in, does it go anywhere else or do you have to send that in elsewhere? It depends on you, and that's kind of an individual situation. The one uh, federal agency that everybody wants nothing to do with, of course, is the individuals representing Satan. So, And we want you to pull yourself out of that system. I don't tell you to do it, but I want you to, because that's how we can collectively really impact these guys. See, if they don't have that coming in, Robert, they got to eat their own fraudulent paper now. They got to pay the legitimate bondholders with what does come in so the system doesn't go upside down. But they're having to buy all these bonds because all the countries in the world are dumping them. Nobody wants them. And now if they're not getting that money coming in, they got to eat their own fraudulent paper. And man, I know they don't like the taste of that. So let's take one thing at a time. You file this thing. The State Department has it. You can then later apply for a passport. I have a passport now. Mm -hmm. Um, Fortunately, they allowed me to go out of the country. I believe I do not owe anything to the government, uh, but I'm assuming if I did, they could hold that against me because, as the lady said here, this process doesn't apply to anything in the past. Is that correct? As far as I can tell, that's correct. I mean, you know, I don't have all the inside intricate answers. I think we've got most of them that we can suppose stuff because we know so much of the other picture. But it shouldn't apply. And the reason is this is because you're not the same legal person anymore. See, you may be Robert Rowan, but you're not Robert Rowan, the citizen of the United States. I get my rights, civil rights from the government, owe them the duties. Now you're Robert Rowan, the national who gets God-given rights and owes God your duties. You're a different legal person. Okay. I have a question, Roger. Okay, hold Go ahead. I'm looking here on the IRS about this uh, foreign corporation. Now, just, I just want to understand that the going from a U.S. citizen to not a U.S. citizen would indeed turn me into a foreign entity. Well, well, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It, cha- it changes you from a citizen of the United States to a citizen of the United States of America. Am I and yes, technically, technically, you're foreign from the federal government, but you're still in the same entity of the country. What was that question? 
uh, oh boy, um, oh yeah, does that does that restrict me from using U.S. currency or engaging of course in any not. kind of? Of course not. Why would it? Because I'm. Well, I, I'm trying to. I, I'm looking into this whole it's, truck thing. It's the way it's the world. It's the world reserve currency. If what you're thinking is right, everybody would be a slave because they're you. And Robert, that was the error in your book, see? Your thesis is they own everything because you're using their currency, where the reality is because they have a property right in you, they can collateralize your future income and make the currency. See, it's that, it's that equivocation, that opposite. That's where I was going a minute ago, and we didn't get to get into it. But, you see, your your conclusion was not necessarily wrong. It was just reversed. Right. So you're saying that because they have a collateral right in you, a property right in you, they make their own currency on you. Correct. See, here's the deal. That birth certificate that represents you being born into the condition, and I can give you how that thing is generated. We got it from a hospital in Austin, Texas, how the whole thing works, okay? So they generate the birth certificate to represent the condition. Do you know that when the Bureau of Vital Statistics generates a birth certificate, Robert, they put it into a bank into a bank safe with armed guards 24 hours a day, seven days? week uh i'm aware of that okay now because it is a warehouse receipt are you familiar with warehouse receipts i think we mentioned that in the book Okay, I don't know. I never, I've never had a chance to read your book. But that's what John thought the birth certificate was acting as. It acts as a document representing your birth. Underneath it, the second usage is a warehouse receipt. As collateralized future income, they go attach that to the bonds. And when they sell the bonds internationally, that's the origin of the debt monetary system. That's the debt that's got to be serviced, is the bond market. That bond is the root word of bondage, isn't it? (laughs) Okay. What, you know, you look at the stock market, it's got big buildings and warehouses and planes and trucks and trains and all that that represent the equities market. Well, the the bond market's five to ten times bigger than the stock market. What represents it? point made okay so there's the origin of the spout of the whole credit system so when the federal reserve wants to order some circulating currency and they get together at their little fomc meeting every six weeks and they decide whether they're going to lower or raise the interest rate well they get together and go well we need a million a billion more in circulating currency so they call the treasury and go we need to print up a billion dollars worth of these green pieces of paper with dead presidents on them okay but they also print up a billion dollars worth of bonds because the bonds back the currency the full faith and credit of the united states doesn't have anything to do with federal reserve notes it's got everything to do with the underlying bonds that the bondholders are going to get their coupon payment back that's the full faith and credit of the U.S. 
So there's never never circulating debt currency, which there isn't an equal amount of bonds out there. That's why there's $133 trillion, trillion dollars worth of sovereign bonds floating out there off of this little trick of assigning you as property with the birth certificate attached and collateralizing your future income. There, Robert, is the leaven of the Pharisees. From nothing to $133 trillion in the debt bond market. And if they never ever printed another bond, if they never ever printed another bond, it would take all of the citizens a thousand years of productivity. To pay off easy, that easy. And, and, and probably more because well, as you started paying trillion, it off, they'd crank up the, trillion, the damn interest. Oh, sorry. A, a, a trillion Go seconds ahead. is 33,000 years now. Yeah, I know. You know? Yeah, I know. So, yep, I know. So it's almost a boss, Roger. Yes, being, being. So yes, this is the leaven of the Pharisees. This is what Jesus said. The leaven of the Pharisees taking nothing and through all these mechanizations and their whole thing with all their corporations and their debt upon debt upon debt upon debt and leaven that son of a bitch up to $133 trillion and then attach you to it. And then they and put the river. This half of, they all they doing that to keep it propped up so it doesn't fall, and then they attach it's, you to it's it through this a, mechanism. Those are just contracts with nothing back. And, and you're responsible for paying Sorry. it off. That's why this is so valuable. Is it pulls you away from being responsible for this damn hypothecated fraudulent debt? Roger. Yes. Yes, Samuel. Um, I thought I'd make a quick illustration of this slow creep of this 14th Amendment. Uh, this is in the preface area of, of Stamper's book. He says, uh, this is a judge saying this. He says, in 1954, and remember, 1954 is the same year as Brown versus the Board of Education. Okay. Ah, important. In, 19, in 1954... I began my legal practice as an assistant district attorney in the city of Miami. We switched from common law pleading to statutory pleading, and no one asked the question why. Now I know the answer to the unasked question, and it depresses me to no end. Ralph G. Mitchell, J.B., attorney at law, St. Augustine, Florida. That's it. You know, here's me. Robert doesn't know what we're talking about here, okay? Um, one of the cases, Robert, are you familiar with Plessy v. Ferguson? Yes, I've read it, but refresh my memory. It was in 1894. It came out of New Orleans. It was a group of people that wanted to test the Jim Crow laws. They'd already been in effect for 25 years, okay? And they wanted to challenge the validity of the Jim Crow laws. They ran a newspaper in New Orleans, a progressive newspaper with a big reach. They actually uh, got $3,000 in contributions to be able to start and do this suit. They went out and found Plessy. And I say they went out and found him because they had to look for him, okay? Because Plessy was nine-tenths white and one-tenth black. 
And they got Plessy. They dressed him in his Sunday finest, brought him to the intrastate railroad inside Louisiana, not Mississippi or Texas. Okay. Put him on the white only railroad car, had the detectives there to arrest him, had the newspapers alerted so they'd cover it. Case went to trial, district court there in Louisiana. The judge ruled against him. His name was Ferguson. <laughs> they enjoined him in the case and took it to the Supreme Court. And the, the, the thumbnail of the decision that came back is separate but equal. Okay, so the Jim Crow laws were ruled by the Supreme Court to be separate but equal. So you tell me, Robert, how can black restrooms and white restrooms, railroad cars, dining, this, whatever, how can those be equal? It can't be. They're equal in respect that they both have a political status. One was a federal citizen. One was a state citizen. But it clearly identifies the difference. They had to overcome that. And they overcame that in 1954 after they'd pulled all the rest of this stuff off. The last thing they did, the, excuse me, you'll, you'll really like this, Robert. The next to the last thing they did was a case called Brown versus Board of Education. That Remember came out that of my one? state. Oh, yeah, that came out of my state. Out of Arkansas? Out of I Kansas? Would... Delaware was involved. Oh, it might have been. Okay, anyway, it was busing, okay? And with busing, they came in, and the statement from the Supreme Court is equal in the classroom, equal in the society, right? Equal in the classroom, equal in the society. Well, they could have as easily said equal in the white country club, equal in the society, because what they did was equalized both of the statuses and made a citizen of the United States the same as a citizen of the United States of America so they could complete the scheme and only ask you one side of the question. Are you a citizen of the United States? See, you're also a national, but they don't ask you that, do they? Are you a citizen of the United States or a national? Well, they don't ask you that. Well, why not? They're the same now. So guess what the last thing they did, Robert? Go ahead. They put the 1954 Internal Revenue Code in place 60 days later, 60 days to the friggin' day. That was the capstone. Now, you've had a lot of experience with these clowns, right? <laughs> Not pleasant. I know. I know. I've been there. Now, remember back about 25 years ago, the big cry in our community was, show me the law, show me the law. You know, Joe Bannister and Sherry Jackson Peel and... All those people, they had a full-page ad in the New York, New York Times. $50,000 reward if you can show us the law. You're required to pay income tax, right? Yep. You want to see it? You want to see what they did all this to you on? If you're um, – I think I know where you're going. Go ahead. 
26 CFR. If you want to put this in a search engine, you can read right along with me. I can quote it to you verbatim. 26 CFR, Code of Federal Regulations, 26 CFR, 1.1-1, parentheses, small a. Oh, yeah. Okay. So here's their law. An income tax is owed by all individuals. Notice it doesn't say persons there. It says individuals. There's a specific reason for that. An income tax is owed by all individuals who are citizens of the United States or residents. And to the extent of 871B and 877B, all non-resident alien individuals. There's your national right there. Non-resident to the residency of the 14th Amendment and alien from the federal citizenship. Non-resident alien. If you look at both of those two uh, uh, sections of the code, they're both constitutional taxes. There's the out right there for the IRS. Yes. Yes, sir. Now would be a really good. Now would be a really good time to circle back and uh, finish your Alice in Wonderland story on definitions, okay. interpretations. Okay. Right. Oh, good. Let, yeah, as I was saying, they, the, the the most popular children's story in the history of the world is where they put this into our subconscious. Robert, go back. What was the original working title of Alice in Wonderland? Through the Looking Glass, right? Through the looking glass. Looking glass is a mirror. If you were through the looking glass on the back side of the mirror, you'd live in a world of opposites, wouldn't you? Yeah. Okay. Now, let me quote a little bit of it to you. By the way, uh, Ruskin, uh, John Ruskin, was a was Cecil Rhodes' uh, professor at Oxford that turned him on to taking over the world. And he was very good friends with Lewis Carroll. He taught his daughters watercolor painting twice a week, actually. So he obviously spent a lot of time over there at the household and the guy that wrote Alice in Wonderland. So here's some dialogue at the very first. Uh, and I would encourage people, go watch it. You can get it on YouTube. It's got the Disney animated deal on there. Um, Alice is, is taking a lesson from her teacher there on a hill with a blanket and having a little picnic and a little a lesson, and she's daydreaming, as students are apt to do. And there at the top of the hill is a big tree with a big branch that parallels the ground, and she's sitting up on her laying on that branch with her cat. And the dialogue goes, if I had a world of my own, Everything would be what it is because everything would be what it isn't. And then what it is, it wouldn't be. You see, Robert? Yeah. Okay. Now, here's another one, and it's Alice again and, and Humpty Dumpty. And uh, I'm going to take a little uh, poetic license here in quoting it to you for emphasis. When I use the word resident, Humpty Dumpty said in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I say it means, no more, no less. But the question is, said Alice, how can you make the word resonant mean so many different things? But the question is, said Humpty Dumpty, who's to be master 
that's all. And there you have it. Say, Roger. Now there's a yes, sir. Yeah, I just wanted to wish you a Merry Christmas and everybody else. This is Dwayne down in New Orleans. Hey, Dwayne. How you doing, man? Thanks. Thanks for uh, helping with Uncle Sam down there. Oh, yeah. No, I've, been, I've been working with the guys. I'm getting. We had a big election here. Our attorney general went up to governor, and we've now got his endorsed attorney general. And um, I'm getting ready to send out some letters to her and the Secretary of State and to Jeff since he got my original affidavit package, and um, Jeff Landry, the new governor. And uh, uh-huh. I'm going to bust their chops on the fact that they're not legally uh, elected because they left me out. They've discriminated against me, and I'm thinking <laughs> about a $10 million lawsuit. And I, I got the code. It just says, all, to vote in Louisiana, you must be a U.S. citizen. I'm like, I can't register to vote. You know, well, did you hear? So, did you hear anyway, about our Alabama? Dwayne, Dwayne, did you hear about uh-huh. our Alabama experience with Dave over there? He got the actual head legal guy at the Secretary of State overseeing elections in Alabama and registered him as a national. Oh, that because he explained what was going on. Oh, yeah, he's flooding with paperwork through the local supervisor up there, that office, and they're the ones that actually put entered him on the voting rolls from what Dave's told me, okay? So right, he's putting Roger. up a website about it. Yep. And Roger. what he did, he went down and registered to vote again and attached his affidavit to the registration certificate. So I was going to say... Roger, he was he was yes. going to double check, make sure it is international, because, um, you know how she says we'll keep it between, or how she responded was we'll keep it between us, so it doesn't sound well. That but that was that wasn't the guy. That was the local supervisor, not the head guy. The other guy that he's been dealing with is the head of the legal department under the Secretary of State right. of the electoral process. I think. You got to start at the top. It, on that kind of stuff, yep. you deal yep. with the underlings. You still end up going to the top. And it's just waste of time. Yeah, that's that's uh, and exactly. Just on another, on, yes, sir. Go ahead. On another topic, um, I can promise you with everything you and I've ever talked about that what you're dealing with and T and we're all dealing with with this national and trying to educate people, there is within the financial world there is a class of people at the very very top who are able to get the least, the, the most risk-adverse financial structured products and make a fortune on it. And they, as we are taught that to make more money than the S&P and what have you, you, you have to take on bigger risk. The most risk-adverse products, you can take 10 grand and in 15 years, turn it into 500,000 plus in the, in very, very little risk that's actually been calculated, known, and defined before you put your before the products let loose. And there's a and you have to have a hundred million dollars or more liquid to even think about hearing and learning about this stuff. And I've been working with a quantitative analyst who's actually an LSU baseball former player, LSU graduate, um, yeah. who has figured this out and is trying to bring it to the public and trying to get people to even listen to this is 
absolute, he spent millions of dollars on marketing with his algorithms and stuff and has found about 15,000 people that are willing to actually listen to it and then start digesting it. So I'm okay, thinking the similar sort of statistics go with this, you know, with what okay. you're teaching and have been going through for the last 20 years or whatever. Well, so, 12 and a half, I mean, you know, the thing that is a mystery to me is I have no idea how many people have done this. I know you got Anna and these other people out there teaching. I don't think they know what they're doing, quite frankly. I don't think they have any idea of the effect they're having or how to prosecute it and exacerbate it for their for their uh, advantage. And so, uh, but of the people that I've taught, I figure there's at least 2 million that have gone through this. You think? Okay. Yeah, yeah I do. I, you, know That's amazing. you know why? Because when John and Glenn were getting prosecuted by the feds, Dwayne, and the, uh, the U.S. attorney in Salt Lake got up in open court and said the IRS had received over 100,000 of those affidavits. Now, there was only 1,200 people that paid to go through the course. There's over a hundred thousand of them received. If you can believe a U.S. attorney, okay. So that yeah, that's about that's about a ninety to one ratio. And that that was a just in a, a couple of years. This has been twelve and a half years of this, and it's so simple. You know, that's the ridiculous part about it is it's so simple, and they've got to recognize it, or else be hey, open tyrant. Yes. Don't forget about Bush Harbor versus Union Pacific Railroad, 1916. Yes, what about it? That's about to get revisited, you know. Treasury decision 2313, that's where the IRS gets that non from. Well, that's, that's exactly where it came from. They've gone to great lengths to hide this. But, uh, uh, but man, this, next, this year's session of the Supreme Court is probably going to be one of the biggest sessions they've ever had up there, okay? There's so many of these key cases that have found their way up there that need to be decided, and I mean now, okay? So going to be a very interesting year. Robert, how else here? Let's go back to our guest here because Robert's been kind of the guest today. We don't have but a minute left. Is there anything else that we could help you with? Well, I just you... wanted to, yeah, I wanted to point out that California has two constitutions, if you're not right. aware. It's well, got the Constitution that's... of 1849 and 1879. Right. And 1879 was voted on by citizens of the United States. And it's more of a statutory uh, constitution than a uh -huh. real one. Uh huh. I think that you, you're going to find twin stuff everywhere here. Definitions of words. I think the state of California is different from California State, which you just alluded to. Uh, every one of these officers are wearing two hats. That attorney general, he wears the hat of California State too. He just never has had an occasion to drag it out of the closet and dust it off. It hadn't been used in a long time. Well, you know, there's these terms I've seen in pre-Civil War uh, Supreme Court cases, how they would define a state, state of Maryland right, or right. like state of Pennsylvania. Now you're coming back and saying California state. But even before all this happened, they used the term state of. Can you explain well, I think that they're using it in the modern usage post-bankruptcy as of the states are political subdivisions in bankruptcy of the U.S. 
the federal U.S. Are you familiar with Gene Schroeder's work, Robert? I know the name. Uh, his uh, his thing they did about 25 years ago called the War and Emergency Powers Act. Do you remember seeing that? Hey, Roger. No, I... Hold on just a second. No, hold on. I want to deal with this with you because it's important. If you're not familiar with it, and it sounds like you're not, please I'll send them go all the to the website. Okay. She gets, she's going to send you all the new student stuff, Robert? Yes. And eight no, 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 researchers. no. Tell everybody how to see it. Tell everybody how to get it. It's not going to help everyone else on the show if Merca sends go it to, to one the new person. Students, go to the new student section on the website. There's a re-audio. Uh, 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 Paul, Paul ran the audio engine, got it better. Uh, and it's this project that they did back in 1994 on the whole bankruptcy and the War and Emergency Powers Act. And he's got all the background that we've got all this other information on what happened because of that. If you've never seen it it'll impress the pants off of you because he's got all the exhibits all the proof everything else is on there okay right it's called war and emergency it's powers on, act yes it's on exposed it's on exposed the matrix.com or the matrix stocks.com uh, they both go to the same page and in red up near uh, right underneath the blue box there is new students click here and click on the word here that'll take you to a page and the very first thing there is before you know how to fix it you have to know how it was broken and that is where yep. the war and emergency powers video link is yep now we're going to have i've connected because of joe here i've connected with dr schroeder and uh, at, we're going to have him on the show after the first of the year, and him and I are both excited about it. So stay plugged in, Robert. Uh, you probably for sure want to be exposed to that, okay? Yep. Dave Roger. But, boy, that's an excellent, excellent. Yeah, is that Joe? Joe, was that you, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what, I, I what do, you got? I do have a very simple way to show people how the, the state of is really just a federal agency. You go into your state statutes, and you go into the very first section, which is usually like general provisions. Sometimes it's in the second one. And you go look at the definition sections and go look under the definition of state. And uh, it almost says in every state verbatim, if they define state, it says the definition of state would mean any state, the United States, the District of Columbia, and the Canal Zone. So they define state as being the United States or and the territories the District of Columbia. Yeah. So they don't define it as like, you know, like uh, Louisiana is like Louisiana land or the landmass known as Louisiana, or the border. They define it as the District of Columbia or the United States, the territories. Yeah. The, and know, I so, think that like, comes H.R. 192 after the bankruptcy where they said they take possession of all the property in the country. Of course, you didn't know they included you in on that, but I believe where, that's where that's coming from. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, so then it – and then if it does not define state, okay, which means that they do not expressly provide uh, the seat of government for the state, then that means that it would be – it would fall under 4 U.S. Code 72 – which states that if if uh, that all seats of government, right, uh, are going to be 
exercised in the District of Columbia and not elsewhere unless it's expressly provided by law. So if it's not expressly provided that it's not the District of Columbia, then it would be assumed to be the District of Columbia. Or whenever the state defines state, they define it as the District of Columbia anyway. So that, there you go. that's how I kind of uh, put that together. They have, they have gone through unbelievable contortions to pull this off, Robert. And the deeper you <laughs> dig, dig into it, the more unbelievable it gets, okay? <laughs> I mean, really. And hey, Roger. So simple. It's all a damn illusion of them asking you those two questions. That ha- that makes everything go forward. This is the tip of the Rothschild Rockefeller power tap root right here. Yes, he was trying to say something. Hey, it's Tom D. Hey, um, Tom. I've been listening intently. I didn't want to interrupt your your guest. So, but um, I just want to tell you, everybody, have a good holiday. And you're going to be back, what, Tuesday, th- Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? What day? When are you going to be back live again? I don't know. I may play some replays next week. Uh, I, okay. I for sure will be back with Brent on Friday. It depends on events. I, and I don't know. And I don't necessarily want to do shit. I'm not trying to think that. I just, um, stay, just wanted stay. to check in with you. I, got, uh, I talked to Paul in the group yesterday. Uh, I finally got my passport card, but it didn't have what we were looking for. And they gave me some weird code. So we can talk about that next uh, right. a week or so. Well, you know, and, um, you know, but uh, everybody have a good one, and uh, we'll see you live whenever. Okay, Tom. Well, thanks a lot, man. Glad to have you. Yeah, I got to bug D. out for Allen. another call, so I got okay. you know, to go get him. All right, we'll be back next next week. Thank you, Tom. At some point, just play it by ear. It's you know, really, next year is going to be so volatile. We we won't have a chance to catch our breath. I think once we really turn the corner, they're over there right now during Christmas distraction, trying to set up deals with Estonia, Slovakia, three or four of those countries that are on Russia's western border. They're going by God. They're going to start a war with Putin and Russia. Come hell or high water folks okay so on top of everything else all right so robert feel free to join us we're normally here six days a week and uh, got a bunch of folks uh that have gone through this and people that are finding out about it the show is mainly for new students to help with the complexity of all of this because i you know what they've done is very simple how they've done it is friggin incredibly complex okay and that's why we never had any success in identifying it and by the way, the way they're bringing in the feudal system is through assigning a political status at birth, determined on where you're born and not who your parents were. And that the only system that's ever been used on in the history of the planet was the feudal system. When they get that brought in, they just bring the rest of the system in. So Paul's playing us a little music. We're about to uh, be over, and I'm going to go have uh, – Christmas uh, dinner with all of our expats here, and I hope you guys will go spend a couple of days with your family. We'll see you at some point next week, and I uh, wish everybody a uh, as merry a time as possible. <laughs>